Hi there, welcome in. It is Downtown, the podcast, episode 48. From the Zone Radio studios in Bangor, Maine, I'm Rich Kimball, here with Kerry Haskell. Our podcast is brought to you every week by Cross Insurance, where security meets strength. Our show, Downtown, originates from Bangor, Maine, every weekday from 4 to 6 p.m. Eastern Time on WZON, WKIT HD3, on the WZON app, which is so easy to use and to download and implement, we suggest you do that. You can also get streaming audio on our website, downtownwithrichkimball.com. Two talented actors join us on the program this week, Jason Clark and Steve Gutenberg. Both have uh, made an impact with their work over the years. Our first guest, Jason Clark, uh, has been getting it done. One of the busiest guys in Hollywood over the course of the last 20 years with acclaimed roles in films like Zero Dark Thirty, his recent turn as Ted Kennedy in Chappaquiddick, and he stars as Lewis Creed in the brand new uh, reimagining, if you will, of Stephen King's Pet Cemetery that opens in theaters this week. We had a chance to talk with Jason Clark about Pet Cemetery and more. We're very excited to see the movie and uh, excited to see some changes. Uh, a little bit a different twist of the plot in this version of Pet Cemetery. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, I mean, yeah, we swapped out Gage Ferrelli, you know, and essentially we swapped out, you know, a three-year-old boy for a nine, ten-year-old girl and the mileage and, the, you know, the, the shooting experience that that would give us. I mean, I love what – I just had an uh, interview with, with Stephen where he said, you know, you can take the 107 to Tampa, you can take the whatever is the 55 to Tampa, you're still going to get to Tampa, you know. <laughs> But you're going to have a different, you know, you have a much different, and I say richer drive to Tampa with um, with Ellie as a young girl, and, and you know, and, and what she can bring as an actress rather than having to use a doll a lot of the time because you can't shoot with a three year old. Oh, absolutely! Uh, it allows you to do so much more, and I, I think just based on what yeah. I've seen in the trailer, it also, uh, to me, it ratchets up the the scary factor and the terror of that situation. It does. I mean, you know, it's still, you know, it, it, the, the the book. And the, the, the disturbing darkness of the story is based in reality. You know, I don't, it's the same thing with, a, you know, I was glad we didn't use a, a mechanical or a digitized cat, you know. We don't have to use a doll as a kid. It, it, the story is rooted in reality, and you get a real girl, and she comes back, and she's still real. She's just different. The same as with the, you know, with the cat. It's, it's, it's still church, but he's different. Um, you know, and, and I think that adds to, A, the scares, and B, the enjoyment, and C, but just the depth that you're left with of, how unsettling it is. And I think what's so scary in these situations is the awareness that people have. And a three-year-old boy may not have that awareness, but, but Ellie certainly does. And then your character, uh, Lewis, is very aware of what's happened. And that's, first of all, that's got to make it a challenge to, to portray that, I would think. Yeah, I mean, it does. It's not, it's not a pleasant thing. I have children. You know, like the first time I read this, I didn't have children. It was a different book. You know, when I read it, the book again with children, it, you know, it takes on a much more. Those, that sequence of, you know, digging young Gage up and seeing him in a suit and the fight with the father at the funeral home, it's, yeah, it's very, it's not an easy thing to come home and then, you know, look, helping having a little boy to hug is nice, but it also freaks you out. I was, I was very happy to put Lewis Creed to bed at the end of the day, you know. Oh, I'm sure. It's not, it's not a part you want to sit in playing for too long. Right. And you mentioned that uh, our boss here, Stephen, is very cool with that. And, and it's nice that he's he's kind of got that attitude about a lot of the adaptations. He just he wants to see them succeed. Well, I mean, yeah, you, got, you know, there's one reason for success is always good. But 
But, you know, it's, it's the thing. I think he understands the sense. I mean, you read a book on your own. You know, we're still in a world, you know, I guess Netflix and everything else aside, where you go and watch a movie as a group experience, you know, with community. And, I mean, I saw... It's funny. I've gone back and watched Pet Cemetery myself now twice with an audience, and it's so much fun. I mean, it's a, you know, it's a very disturbing and dark and scary movie, but there's enjoyment in watching it as a group and, you know, letting out these gasps and these, you know, feeling it together. And, and that's the difference between a book and a, and, a, and a movie. And I think, you know, he understands that because he's, you know, he's been involved in a few movie pieces himself. But it has to live as a visual spectacle that you enjoy with other people, not in a quiet room by yourself. We're talking with Jason Clark uh, here on Downtown about Pet Cemetery. Well, you've got a terrific cast as well. Can you talk a little bit about them? Yeah, I mean, Amy. Amy Simon plays my wife. She plays Rachel. Um, she first read the book when she was eight years old. Oh, man. Oh, <laughs> shocked me. I know, dude. You Americans get into your, get into your horror reading at an early age. You, know? <laughs> you know, pick up. <laughs> you go from straight from Dr. Zeus to Red Ground Poe to Stephen King. <laughs> um, she was great. Jatay Lawrence plays, you know, my daughter Ellie, um, and there was a couple of French Canadian boys that played, you know, the Tweez twins as gay because you know there's heavy restrictions on shooting with mm. a young child, um, you know. And then we had um, a wonderful judge who was uh, also had the John Lithgow also had the benefit of, benefit of making the whole Churchill joke work because he actually you know was a very famous <laughs> Churchill. That's right. <laughs> and Netflix the crowd. <laughs> it was funny because when I sat in the audience for the first time. The joke really occurred to me. I mean, on set, I guess it never really hit home, even though I loved his Winston <laughs> Churchill. But when I, you know, it, it just brings it breaks that fourth wall or something for the audience. It, it suckers them in even more to, you know, to, to have a you know a fright or a disturbance. So, uh, as a as a movie watcher or as a reader, what kind of things scare you? Yeah. Oh. I think I agree with with Mr. King himself, like. You know, he says at the beginning of the book, the old funny bone, the fight bone is it's very personal. Things that touch a core. I mean, this book really scared me. Just having two children. There was there's things, lines in the book that I don't like to say because you just don't like to tempt fate. It's things that are based in reality. You know, or that are close to home, or just a just a you know a few sections away from you know the bone itself, really disturb you and scare me. That's kind of shit. That and sharks. Sharks in the water. <laughs> I surf and swim, and I don't like the idea of like some big, you know, six foot shark coming near me. It, it's scary for us because the cemetery, the one that was his inspiration, is not far from where we are right yeah. now. And much like it, a lot of that happened oh, really? right here in in Bangor. And so you you see these locations yeah. and go, oh God, is that clown going to yeah. come up out of that manhole right now? <laughs> yeah, to that clown coming up out of that manhole. I actually had to. I watched that at home on video. I, I stopped after that <laughs> when he took that kid's arm. That was like, man, man whoa, whoa! <laughs> I had to settle that one down. I mean, those teeth were insane. Um, yeah, I guess so. I mean, I, I, I guess it's funny. I forgot that. I, I know that having listened to the, I read the book and listened to it a lot on the Audible. I know that cemetery and the cars and the streets really quite well. You, you know, I listened to Michael C. Hall read you know that whole section where Lewis is in there and he breaks into there. And it, this is weird. Uh, you've been on such a roll lately with some terrific parts. I loved your work as Ted Kennedy in Chappaquiddick. That was such an outstanding movie. Thank you. I totally agree. I, <laughs> I love that movie. I'm very proud of that movie. You know, I really do. And I think it really has something to say, you know, in the current political world we're in. And it's, you know, it's not, 
and at the end of the day, that movie wasn't just about Ted. It was about us mm. and how, you know, say, let's say the people of Massachusetts choose to vote afterwards, what we value and what we, what we don't value. You know, and Ted was re-elected a number of times. So it's like it's easy just to point the finger and say Ted was this or Ted was that. There was a lot of things, as you know, I'm sure you know. But the, the heart of the movie itself was about, you know, we all have to take personal responsibility for what we do. Not just point the finger and say one man's, you know, that's it. There's, you know, he's a bad person or he's a good person. Leave it at that. Um, but I did. I love playing Ted. I really did. A fascinating man, and for all of his faults, still, you know, a very missed figure in political, the political world right now. He also worked with a, a good friend of ours in the opening scene. Uh, our buddy Gary Tangway, who's primarily a sportscaster, uh, played the NBC reporter interviewing oh, Ted Kennedy. Yes. Yeah. Oh, really? Yeah. 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 That's funny because that, you know, the scene that ended up in the movie that wasn't in the movie was it was like a, a say a nine minute one shot, steady cam shot that started with me walking out of a lift and going up three flights of stairs, at the state house, going through a corridor, then sitting down and doing the interview with him, that real live interview on ABC. And um, so him and I, we did like twenty one takes of that because you know nothing could go wrong to get it right, and then John eventually cut it out of the movie and just had it as the interview. But yeah, him and I were sitting up. He's a lovely man. Yeah. Loves his, loves his Red Sox, doesn't he? He sure does. Loves his football. <laughs> no question about that. You also had a wonderful role as Ed White in First Man. I, that movie was so good, I, I was shocked that there were not more Oscar nominations for First Man. Yeah, I was shocked too. I mean, it's, you know, look, it's, yeah, I mean, look, it's one to say what the Academy is or what it's becoming or what it's about, but, you know, I mean, like, I was shocked with Zero Dark Thirty to win Best Oscar that year. Mm. So, you know, it's, I think great films will last. And I was, actually, I saw Damien Brazil two nights ago. He's, he's going to Paris. And it's a great movie. It really is a great movie. It's a phenomenal movie. Um, and it's going to stand the test of time. And I think, you know, in years to come, not only will really enjoy it, but it'll be one that people go back to to watch for a reference in how you make a great movie and what he's doing. What he did was extraordinary. And um, I'm sorry it didn't get more love you know, at the box office and at the awards, because it, it, it's certainly worth it. Uh, you've got another film uh, out as well, The Aftermath, with uh, another terrific cast of uh, Kieran Knightley, yeah. Alexander yeah. Skarsgård. Can, can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, yeah look, you know, I love, I, I also love that movie because it's, it's set, it's about, it's about a, you know, a couple who find a way to stand in love in the aftermath of the Great War. You know, when a man, I play an English colonel who's in charge of putting Hamburg, the German, you know, the English, which is the English-controlled part of Germany, right in the immediate aftermath of World War II, putting it back on its feet. So these people that have, you know, are seen as the enemy that have perpetrated crimes have, you know, been also the aggressor, but have now been destroyed and wiped out, are starving, legless, homeless, you know, being raped. And in that, he, you know, he's, he, that is mirrored with his own relationship that he can't seem to pick up. A couple that have lost a child and. People deserve their shot at happiness, and you know, and eventually, you know, without giving too much away, they find a love to a way to stand in love rather than fall in love. I'm sure you get a lot of scripts. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. It does. <laughs> what do you What do you look for when you're choosing a part? Uh, is it the writing? What comes first for you? The story. You know, at the heart of it is the story. Something can be well written. Something can be interesting or whatever. But it's got to be, the, the story's got to just grab you, you know? It's, it's, it's something that you just can't forget. Um, and then, you know, you can improve on that, or it's you know, incredibly well-written out of the bat. But, but that's what it is, is, whether you want to be part of not just the character I'm playing, but the story that I'm telling as a whole. Um, 
you know, and, and say for Pet Cemetery, I love this, this thing about a family, a father, you know. For the aftermath, I love that that was about a father too, in a way, in a different set of circumstances, you know, and a, and a way of humans trying to find grace under pressure. You know, there's similar themes. You know, I love watching people struggle. I mean, you know, Lewis, Lewis not only decides to do what he does, but then has to take responsibility for what he's done in bringing Ellie back. You know, and then what kind of a man is, is Lewis if he doesn't do, doesn't try to bring Ellie back knowing there's a place that he could? You know, it's, it, it's, it, I guess there's, some, there's something in the story that, you know, that, that binds us, that reveals a bit more of who we are or examines who we are, you know, and, and, and these, these choices that we face in, in deciding the people that we become. Well, and that's that's what's great about so much of Stephen's work. Yes, it's a horror movie, it's yeah. a horror story, but it's yeah. also it's a story about human beings and the decisions we make and the consequences for our oh. actions. Consequences, yeah. I mean, you know, I've had some of my best friend friends, you know, my be- my best red friends, you know, you know, mention you know Dostoevsky, Tolstoy, James Joyce, Stephen King, <laughs> and it's a fact, you know, to say that the horror. You know, he's a horror writer. It's, 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 a, it's a disservice. I've, I've kind of stopped using that word. But I mean, it's just, he's a great writer, full stop. You know, um, and he does. He's got a way of drawing you in, you know, just leaning into it. And I think, you know, that's what, I think, I think the film, Dennis and Kevin, the directors, have done a great way of doing this, keeping just that, making the audience lean in to feel, you know, A, they've got to, you know, be scared and enjoy it, have a cinematic experience, but lean in to really feel you know, what it is like to be Lewis and Rachel faced with this consequence, faced with this choice. You know, and then not only if you do it, what happens when they come back? You know, there they are. You've got to deal with it. And um, he's an extraordinary writer, I think. Pet Cemetery opens nationwide next week. Uh, Jason Clark, we've enjoyed your work for a number of years. Thank you so much for making time for us. Uh, we wish you luck uh, with not only the new movies you've got out now, but uh, continued success with your career as well. Thank you very much, Rich. Enjoy, um, enjoy your summer. Enjoy... Arcadia. I went up to that national park when I early first came out to America. I love it up there. Beautiful. Extraordinary part of the world. Once the snow melts, we're there. We can't wait. Thank you again, Jason. <laughs> no, I bet. See you, mate. Enjoy. Actor Jason Clark here on Downtown, the podcast. When we come back, another talented actor who starred in some of the biggest films of the 1980s and still keeping busy on his own terms. Steve Gutenberg coming up after this word. From Cross Insurance. Since its founding in 1954, Cross Insurance has grown from a small family-owned agency that started in Bangor, Maine, into one of the largest super regional insurance agencies in New England. With the network of offices throughout New England, Cross Insurance works with top carriers to provide maximum value to you, your family, and your business. We are proud to be the official insurance broker of the New England Patriots and would welcome the chance to provide security for your team. For more information, visit CrossInsurance.com. Cross Insurance, where security Security meets strength. There's a power in the world that can make your dreams come true. You can pick out any woman and she'll fall in love with you. You don't know a thing about it, but you say you don't believe. Isn't it time that you learn about the downstream? Welcome back on Downtown, the podcast. A song about Steve McQueen, but it could apply to our next guest on the podcast. Steve Gutenberg. Uh, Carrie, this is your wheelhouse, too, boy. The 1980s, it seemed like he was in every other movie in that decade. Oh, yeah. I mean, 
yeah, you couldn't go more than a couple of months <laughs> without a new Steve Gutenberg movie uh, being in the cinema. Uh, Diner, of course, the great Barry Levinson film that we'll talk about uh, in just a moment with Steve, but Cocoon, Three Men and a Baby, the sequel, Three Men and a Little Lady, the incredibly successful Police Academy franchise. And then in the early 90s, he, he walked away, uh, wanted to do things on his own terms, but has continued to get all kinds of work recently appearing uh, in the Goldbergs, Ballers on HBO with The Rock, Dwayne Johnson. And has got some great projects in the works as well, as we learned when we talked recently with veteran actor Steve Gutenberg. What a wonderful surprise it was to turn on my TV last week and see you appearing on the Goldbergs. How did that role come to be? Adam F. Goldberg gave me a call. He's a really friendly, friendly showrunner and creator and very smart guy. They called me and said, come on down for lunch. We did. We had a nice talk. And he said, one of these days, I'm going to ask you to be on my show. I said, okay. Well, whenever you do, I'll be around. So he gave me a call at the beginning of the year. Had a really funny part uh, to play one of his science professors science teachers at the high school um and uh it was great it was really great and a pretty well-known guest director as well for that episode yeah it was fred <clears throat> fred is a really talented guy and you know he cut his teeth as a kid on uh one two years and uh he's been directing uh for a long time he's very very talented Looking back at uh, your remarkable career in so many great roles, but I, I go back to one of my favorite movies, and it, it remains that of all time, uh, Barry Levinson's Diner back in 1982. And, man, what a what a group of talented young actors with yourself, Kevin Bacon, Ellen Barkin, Mickey Rourke, Tim Daly, and on and on. What, what was that experience like? Well, you know, the experience, it's, uh, I get asked that question quite often. And my answer is, on Diner, it was sort of like being in college, where everybody really wants that A. So you had a lot of tremendously talented and competitive actors looking for those moments. And when you do have that, and a great director-writer, Barry Levinson, you know, you're bound to find some gold. Um, and there were, uh, there were many moments that were just shining bright. You had so many great successes in the 80s, and you were certainly one of the busiest guys in, in Hollywood. Did you have time at all during that decade to, to take a breath and appreciate what was happening to you professionally? I've been very lucky. I grew up at my parents' kitchen table, and one of the value systems that we always learned was to appreciate what you have. It's terrific to look back in the past, and uh, it's inspiring to look in the future. But you have to look at what you have today. Um, and I was always blessed with a really strong and, and character-driven family, friends who were true, honest, and loyal, uh, and two hands that like to work. So I'm always triply blessed, I believe. Well, and I, I read a piece uh, talking about you, and it said, uh, poor Steve, uh, he... He apparently is a nice guy and has lived a scandal-free life, and uh, that Hollywood's not used to that sort of thing, I guess. Well, you know, there's, there are more people that you would think that do live a scandal-free scandal life. But, you know, everybody's stolen a candy bar from the candy store. 
store. <laughs> Everybody has. So if you look hard enough, you'll find it. Uh, and that's actually a sad state of affairs where our society is that everybody's looking for the chink in the armor as to, as opposed to looking at the armor itself and how much intensity and hard work it, does, it takes to build that armor and build a business and build a career. You know, those that live in glass houses shouldn't throw stones. Um, and, uh, I truly believe that you have to stick by that. We're talking with Steve Gutenberg here on Downtown. Uh, when I'm not on the radio, I'm a high school teacher and, and a high school drama director, and I was especially thrilled to uh, see how you came up with the name of your production company. Right. My uh, my dramatic teacher, my first drama teacher, was Mr. Kirby. and uh, <coughs> We named our company after him. He was a great inspiration, really talented, and uh, quite encouraging. And, and I, I often ask actors and musicians who come on the show uh, this question, how important is it, because we're not seeing the level of support that we like these days, how important is it to have our arts education in our public schools? Well, it's paramount to every school and every city. You must have an outlet for the arts. The arts are very, very important. Not only in the social commentary, which really, that's where the power lies, but in the entertainment. Because what are we really here to do but to entertain and to educate? We need the ballet. We need the opera. We need musicals. We need plays. We need poems. We need sculpture. We need painting. We need novels. We need nonfiction. We need fiction. These are really important pillars of our society. And why wouldn't you have that in a school? That's a great point, indeed. I also want to bring up the work that you're doing on social media, which can be sometimes a pretty ugly place, but you are such a wonderful presence on Twitter, uh, so positive and so uplifting and, well, so uh, anti most of what's out there on social media. Well, you know, I think that there is so much to learn from the great minds that have come before us. So uh, instead of uh, showing myself uh, riding in my car or... <laughs> you know, on stage somewhere or filming myself uh, while I'm in on a movie. I'd rather speak about some of the truisms that come out years ago that apply today. And for just a moment, people could read them, be influenced by them, and maybe it'll change one of their reactions or part of their day. Make it a little more positive. You know, we've got enough negativity going on. Throw a little good news in there. Well, I love it. I think it's a wonderful break from most of what's out there on social media. Well, what's the future hold for you professionally? What can we look forward to seeing you in? Well, I just finished doing a, uh, a Bruce Willis headlined film down in Puerto Rico. Had a great time doing that. And uh, if all works out, I'll be working with a terrific director in Spain in July. Uh, I'm going to read the script today. I'm driving, so I'm going to go get it. Uh, I won't be able to announce it until later. Um, 
and uh, I've got another show uh, on the Goldbergs, uh, and uh, lots of other great opportunities. Well, that and sounds. I sure hope I'm going to be doing a Stephen King movie one of these days. That would be great. Uh, yeah, Bubba, we'll do whatever we can to put in a good word for you here. Well, I, I, I heard you. Uh, you might know the owner. Uh, we do indeed. We do indeed. I'm sure he would love to see you uh, in, in a film based on his work. Well, Steve, uh, it's really great to talk with you. A fan of your work and, and also uh, you know, a fan of the way you, you comport yourself out there in the world and, and deal with fans and the public and, and that great message that you put out on Twitter. Thank you so much for making some time for us here this afternoon. My pleasure. It's so nice of you to invite me on your show. And uh, Maine is such a beautiful state. God bless you, and God bless Maine. Steve Gutenberg here on Downtown, the podcast. Very interesting, introspective kind of guy. Yeah, he he seems to know what he wants, and uh, you know the, the chasing of fame isn't one of those things. Interesting, too, that both of the guys we had on today, Steve Gutenberg and Jason Clark, uh, uh, sending best wishes to Maine and sharing their love and appreciation of the state. We always like that. I don't think they were just doing it to get in our good graces they were already kind enough to come on the show yeah i think that uh, people especially uh, when you come in from a big city the, the lifestyle and the, the scenery of maine is very very captivating lots of fun jason clark steve gutenberg on this week's episode 48 of downtown the podcast thank you so much for joining us for carrie haskell i'm rich kimball we'll see you next week here on downtown